0: As a CPA, there's a lot of things that we can help dentists with in terms of being successful, and any dental CPA should be able to do this. Dentists should know exactly what's happening in their practice throughout the year because that's gonna have an impact on that number, that check they're gonna have to write, and sometimes maybe even getting a refund. So with planning, there's lots of opportunity to save on taxes. I'm Corey Brown,
1: and this is Provides the Path to Owning It podcast, where I sit down with trusted industry experts and Provides Network to give you the tools and advice you need to take your practice ownership dreams into your own hands. From owning your own practice to expanding or improving an existing practice, we'll help pave the way for you to achieve your dental or veterinary career dreams and guide you through all the nuances of the practice ownership journey. Please make sure to follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you listen. Today, we are here at the Greater New York Dental Meeting in Manhattan and have the pleasure of interviewing David Goodman with PKF O'Connor Davies as a dental CPA and member of the Academy of Dental CPAs. He has a unique data-driven approach to helping practice owners. David shares his perspective on taxes, dental practice management, and finances as a frequent speaker, podcast guest, and contributor to dental economics. David, welcome to the show. It's a pleasure to have you with us today.
0: Hey, Corey. Thanks. I'm happy to be here. I love being on the floor of the Greater New York meeting. I've been doing this for like 20 years. It's really awesome. It's electric, isn't it? Yeah. Well, David, let's
1: just start from the beginning. What is a CPA and why is that important that a dentist uses one that's specific to their industry?
0: Well, a long time ago, uh, CPAs stood for carrying papers around. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe transitioned to cleaning, pressing, and alterations. Right, (laughs) but uh, we're actually known as the most trusted advisor in the business world. Our experience as accountants gives us uh, a lot of opportunity to see how other businesses operate, and take all of that knowledge that we gather and bring it to our client base to help them to make decisions about being successful in their businesses. And specifically, I focus on dentistry, so we work with a lot of practices. Our firm has been doing that for over 50 years and uh, taking all of those experiences and bringing that to the dentists and helping them to be successful, achieving the income and quality of life they desire.
1: That's fantastic. You're clearly an expert in the field. You know, when most people hear CPA, they probably think of taxes. So let's start there. What do dentists generally need to know before tax filing?
0: Well, one of the things I always say is that taxes just don't happen on April 15th and you don't get this bill from your accountant. Taxes can be planned throughout the year. And so a lot of doctors, especially dentists, should know exactly what's happening in their practice throughout the year, because that's going to have an impact on that number, that check they're going to have to write, and sometimes maybe even getting a refund. So it's important to be planning throughout the process. It's important to be looking at your numbers, having conversations with your CPA about it, so that. you can do things that can help to minimize. So, with planning, there's lots of opportunity to save on taxes. Well, let's talk about
1: new dentists in specifically. You know, what additional information would be needed for new dentists who maybe just bought a practice this year, for example?
0: New practice owners face a lot of financial challenges because this is usually the first time, that's why they're new practice owners, (laughs) in in owning a practice. And um, they really need to get some guidance and help in understanding their, their finances. And as a CPA, especially somebody who's familiar with dental practices, they've got usually a debt that they have to pay on a monthly basis. They're trying to figure out their cash flow. If there are startup practices, maybe they're trying to figure out how they're going to get new patients into the practice so that they can pay for this practice they just set up. And it can be really overwhelming. Many dentists, new dentists also find that maybe they've also got a mortgage on a house and they've got significant student loan. These things can be really overbearing on a doctor, but we find that Most dental practices, the huge majority of dental practices are successful in the long term. And just having that guidance and being able to overcome those initial challenges, patient flow, cash flow, even working with employees is really critical to the growth of the practice. And so new dentists need to have a really good professional team behind them. Absolutely. We talk about that all the time on the show, how important
1: that is. We hear it time and time again. Are there any specific deductions that a new dentist should look for?
0: Well, newer dentists probably don't have a significant amount of income. And with that lower income level, there are many deductions that may be available to them, including the ability to deduct student loan interest. And so that's an option for them. In a new practice, they may be eligible for what's known as QBI or qualified business income, where under the recent tax law changes, there's a possibility to get up to a 20% reduction in practice income as a deduction on your tax return. So there are some options that are out there for newer dentists, especially when their income has not reached its like, maximum level yet. That's great advice. How would that change
1: for those dentists who are already established? What should they be looking for or any specific deductions that they should be looking
0: for? I find that as you mature, not much really changes in terms of what deductions are available. Actually, as your income goes up, you probably wind up losing some deductions under the tax law because of income maximums. What I do find, though, is that retirement planning is really important, not only as a new dentist, but even as a more mature dentist with higher income levels retirement should always be a focus. And most retirement savings plans are tax deductible. So if you think about you getting to put away a certain amount of money based on your tax rate, you'd be looking at a 25 or 30% return on your investment automatically just because of the tax savings. So we'd like to focus in on retirement savings. We want dentists to be able to have that lifestyle that they had while they were working when they retire. And um, in the past, we've seen that 95% of dentists were retiring without being able to maintain the lifestyle that they had while they were working. That number is significantly decreased now as the professional networks that dentists work with are encouraging them to save money as quickly as possible through deferred retirement accounts.
1: You know, besides helping dentists prepare for taxes, what are some other things uh, dental CPA can help with? You hinted at some of those earlier, but can you tell us more about those?
0: There's a lot of things that we can help dentists with in terms of being successful, and any dental CPA should be able to do this. Focusing on the numbers in the practice is important. There's actually something I'd like to share. I call it the three signs of a miserable practice. (laughs) Sounds funny, right? So Patrick Lencioni is a very well-known book writer and and business consultant. He had a a book called Three Signs of a Miserable Job, and I kind of wanted to give it a little dental twist. And so the three signs are relevancy, anonymity, and not measuring anything. When we talk about a a dental practice, I think it's really important for the team to understand why they come to work every day, what's relevant about what they're doing. And that starts with the leader of the practice, which is obviously the doctor. The doctor needs to have a vision for what they're trying to accomplish every day in the practice, to create better smiles for everybody who comes into the office, to get a thank you from everybody. There's a reason that that doctor gets up in the morning and sometimes they forget about it themselves. And they need to remind themselves of why they're coming to the office and when they have that that vision and they share that vision with their team, usually the team will be attracted to helping to support the doctor in achieving the vision. It doesn't always work with every person on the team, but some members of the team will be fantastic in helping the doctor to achieve that vision. And those who are not usually will kind of drop out and be replaced with somebody who's passionate about what the doctor's trying to accomplish. So that's where we're looking at relevancy. Why do we come to work every day? Why do we come to the practice every day to treat our patients? Anonymity is important too, and especially now in this environment where it's really hard to find employees or to even keep employees, anonymity is a way for the leader of the practice, the doctor, to also recognize the employees as people outside of the job, to understand what's happening in their families, to be truly interested, in them as people that's a really strong connection and an understanding that hey the leader of my practice the dentist here sees me as somebody who's important and has a life outside of the office final thing is measuring something or the lack of measuring anything it's so important to benchmark there are very different benchmarks for very different practices you can be creative in how you measure something but it's something you should be measuring every day how many hygiene appointments got blown today, and can I do better? And looking over the long term, why were there days where we were successful and had every hygiene slot filled, and then there were days where we didn't? Let's make sure that we're continuing to fill those hygiene slots. Or how many patients called up, or potential patients called up today, and actually converted into a new patient? So these are some of the things that you know doctors can look at, and there's tons of other things, that the employees can have fun measuring as a hygienist, how much new opportunities did I refer to the dentist today? And you know, quantifying them. These are just different ways for the employees to be engaged to measure something every day. And that kind of helps them to stay engaged as well. So that's the three signs of the miserable dentist. Now, there are a lot of other benchmarks that we use in managing the practice and looking at how a practice operates, but these are specifically related to the employees and having a a really good culture in, in the practice.
1: How do you recommend they go about measuring these? Is this something that they can do internally, or is there software that exists that kind of helps them measure these KPIs or benchmarks?
0: Yeah, it's really simple. You don't really need anything fancy for it. You know, I use the example of okay, I want to keep track of my marketing sources. Like, where did I find this new patient? Was it in a local paper? Did they hear about it from a friend? You set up a little Excel schedule, and you just put in your referral sources, yeah. and you just tick the boxes in the Excel schedule as you find out where these new patient opportunities came from. And then you can look back after tracking this for a while and say, hey, you know, this marketing opportunity is not really panning out for me. I'm gonna take my My financial resources that I'm applying there and put it someplace else where maybe I might be able to get a better patient flow. Yeah, that's fantastic advice. What types of software are out there
1: that you'd recommend dentists use to help keep track of their expenses? You know, like QuickBooks, you know, is this something you recommend? And what's the difference between just kind of basic bookkeeping versus accounting,
0: analysis, planning? That's a great question. So let's address the bookkeeping software question first of all. Practice management software is not bookkeeping software. And as far as I know, there is no practice management software right now out there that integrates with your practice management. We're great to have, it's a dream, but the practice management software provides information and when you combine that with financial reporting or the bookkeeping information, there's information as a CPA that we can derive that tells us how the practice is doing. As far as software, we've been recommending QuickBooks. It's very easy to use. We tell our clients that we offer two hours of free QuickBooks training for anybody who hasn't had experience with it. And in less than two hours, they can be experts. In, That's all they in the need. Okay. Yeah, it's, awesome. it's really easy. But I don't recommend is using software like Quicken or Mint or any other type of personal record keeping software because they're not designed for businesses. And in many cases, individuals don't keep a personal balance sheet, and balance sheets are as important as the profit and loss statement when you're looking at the financial reporting for a dental practice. So what is bookkeeping and what is financial reporting or the other side of what goes on? Well, bookkeeping is just basically recording transactions, whether they be expenses or that be income, and recording those expenses by category to help you understand where your overhead is. But then there are other transactions that can occur that you probably need an accountant for. For example, depreciation. A lot of people ask, well, what is depreciation? And it's really a pretty easy concept, but then it gets really complicated by the IRS. But the concept of depreciation is is if you purchase an asset with a useful life of longer than one year, in other words, you buy a computer, you don't throw it out after 12 months, right? You're going to keep it for a couple of years, right? (laughs) You get to take depreciation for that computer over a period of time, uh, what we call a useful life. Um, the IRS determines useful life. And so simply put, a computer is something you plug in. The IRS says basically that if you plug it in, it has a five-year useful life. So if you buy a $1,000 computer, you get to depreciate $200 a year over five years until you use up the depreciation. Well, you're gonna need an accountant to figure out what the useful lives are, what can be depreciated, and there are certain things that can be written off or deducted in the year that you purchase it, even though it may have a useful life of greater than one year. The other thing is is that with loan payments, there's a principal and interest portion to each loan payment. And so it's important to be able to understand how much of your loan payment is going to be towards principal and how much is going to be towards the interest expense. The interest expense is the only portion of the loan payment that's actually deductible for taxes. The repayment of loan principal is not deductible. And so making sure that the categories are broken out appropriately is really important. The other thing is, is that when you get to the accounting level, we have a chart of accounts we use in our firm that's dental specific it outlines different aspects of the practice so that the doctor can quickly look, and hopefully they are looking at least once a week, maybe more frequently, at the numbers in the practice and how those numbers are being reported and looking for things that just don't make sense. Yeah. And many times when the doctors find like an expense category that seems to be out of whack, doesn't make sense, they're calling their accountant. And with online access to QuickBooks, we can quickly log in and say, oh, by the way, you know, you bought this new piece of equipment for $100,000. And it wound up on your profit and loss statement as office expense. And we need to put that onto the balance sheet because it's part of your fixed assets, having a useful life of more than a year. Thank you for making
1: that clarification. uh, Uh, Clear as mud, right? Yeah.
0: (laughs) (laughs) You know, we've talked about why it's
1: important to have an industry specific CPA on a dentist team. But when we come back, I'd like to dive more into how a great CPA can help make a practice more profitable. More with David Goodman after this short break. Meet the newest reason to finance your dream practice with Provide, the Provide Card, the credit card built specifically for dental and veterinary practice owners. Available in addition to your Provide practice loan, with the Provide Card, you'll be transported to a world of new opportunities for your practice, where you can securely make bulk supply orders and earn tailored rewards on your purchases. You can earn up to 3% rewards on healthcare practice and lab supplies, and 1% rewards on all other purchases all the time with no rotating categories and no point expiration. At Provide, we're creating the future of personalized banking for healthcare practice owners. To learn how to apply for your tailored card with tailored benefits, contact your Provide representative or visit getprovide.com slash providecard for more information, including rewards terms and conditions. I'm Corey Brown, and this is Provides the Path to Owning It podcast. We are back with David Goodman with PKF O'Connor Davies here at the Greater New York Dental Meeting in Manhattan to talk about how a CPA can make your dental practice more profitable. David, tell us some ways that a dental CPA can evaluate the financial health of a practice.
0: As a CPA, I always tell clients that it's so important to work with somebody that understands your business. And uh, I'm really passionate about the dental profession. For me, it's something that you know I grew up with. My dad was a CPA and he actually started our practice working with dentists. So okay. it's kind of like in my blood, in your blood exactly. growing <laughs> up, hearing him talk about it. And um, I understand where their challenges lie. So no matter what CPA anybody works with, it should be somebody that definitely understands their business. Business. And in this case, you know, the business of dentistry is something that I grew up with, and it's something that I love to help doctors to be successful. And so your love
1: of that and knowing the industry so well kind of translates into seeing these things before and knowing how to help them diagnose kind of the financial health just being around it for that many years?
0: Yeah, I mean, there is like an instinctual part of all of this, but I also think that every situation is different, Yeah, whether it's the personality of the doctor or the environment they're in or the situation in the practice, but it's being able to take little pieces of experiences that you've had in the past and bringing that to the situation and trying to find out if the direction you want to go and make sense to the doctor, because it's really about helping them to achieve what they're trying to accomplish and not changing the game but, you know, helping them to be successful in the game that they're in. Let's talk about some of those little pieces as KPIs or
1: key performance indicators. What specific ones should a dentist look at to make sure their practice is headed in that kind of right direction?
0: Oh, I love it. That's like really the, the question about what makes us different as dental CPAs. And so it's a really important question. We work with enough practices that we can collect a lot of data. Most dentists are top line focused hey, you know my collections or my production has gone up since last month or last year, I'm doing better. And that's definitely not the case when you're looking at a dental <laughs> practice because at the same time that that revenue line is going up, so can your expenses. And you yeah. might find that your expenses are going up faster than your revenue. So it's important to see the entire picture. One of the things that we do at PKF O'Connor-Davies is we create what we call a dental practice by the numbers book every year right before the Greater New York Dental Meeting. We provide the average overhead of the practices that we work with to show doctors what their overhead percentages of collections should be based on the type of practice or the size of the practice that they have. And that's really important, which is why it's important for doctors to participate in the record keeping for their practices and being able to look at the numbers every day to see what's happening happening we as CPAs are not there every day or we'd be making a lot of money (laughs) and and not the dentist, but we want our clients to be aware enough and to know when it's time to ask a question that something doesn't make sense. And having that standard chart of accounts, having those overhead percentages available to them makes it really helpful for them in in knowing when something's not right. Because if you wait till the end of the year to just put all your numbers together, whatever's happened in the past can not be fixed. Exactly, it is too late. Overhead is one of the areas that we focus in but there's a lot of other things to look at. We look at hygiene profitability. The rule of thumb out there is that a hygienist should be producing about three times what they're being paid. It's a rule of thumb. But we want to look at it and make sure, especially when you have multiple hygienists, there may be one hygienist who's super producing. There may be one who's not. But we also find it's not always the hygienist's fault if they're not profitable. It could be a coding issue that's happening at the front desk when uh, patients are checking out or insurance is being submitted. It could be just the overall use of the software. It could be the length of the appointment. It could be that the fees are too low in the practice. There are various different reasons why. So even though we might find that a hygienist is not profitable, It may not necessarily be the hygienist that's causing the issue, but to be able to look at those numbers, to be able to inform a doctor of here, you can make some money by fixing this. That's really our goal. And to have the solutions for them as well. Just an example, we also look at new patient flow we believe that practices lose about 15% of their patient base every year. It could be for various reasons. Patients die, patients move away, patients just stop coming to the dentist. But for whatever reason, we see that 15% reduction. So we need to be replacing at least 15% of the active patients every year in a practice. Well, how does a doctor know what the right number of new patients are? So we look at the numbers, we look at the new patient flow, and we're able to figure that out. We also like to see that there's a certain number in regards to the practice's hygiene production and collections. So we want to know how many hygiene days there are in a practice. And we can figure out, based on the number of active patients, an idea of how many there should be. And we see practices having much lower percentages of active patients in hygiene. Again, hygiene is not only a vehicle for treatment for patients in terms of profies and x-rays, but it's also an opportunity for production on the doctor side to make sure that they're giving the appropriate care for their patients. So patients who are not coming in for hygiene may be missing out on lots of other things that the doctor can identify. We always talk about this full mouth, body, connection and it's so important that the doctors are seeing their patients whether it be every six months or three months to come in We also look at percentage of collections in the practice and how that percentage compares. Obviously, it would be great to collect 100% of your production every month, but there are reasons for write-downs and discounts and things like that. But if a practice is doing 97% of collections based on production every month, that's a great number. But I find practices doing much lower than that. But they're not aware of these benchmarks. They're not aware of some of the things that we look at as dental CPAs. And in our dental book this year, we're starting to explore procedures now in the office. So what we found is we kind of figured out the number of sealants that are done in a dental practice on average we then looked at practices that did more sealants than the average. And we found that those practices that do more sealants are more profitable than other practices. We're also looking now at the uh, crown filling ratios and also finding that when there's a closer ratio between crowns and fillings, those practices are more profitable than practices. So there's a lot of KPIs and benchmarks and data that we look at, and we're going to be exploring even more. Next year, we're going to be incorporating a new data analysis software in to the services we're going to be offering to our clients. So this is what the difference is between a dental CPI. Well, always ask somebody who is looking for my services. I said, when was the last time your CPA asked you for a practice demographics report or production by provider by ADA code and they said, what? I don't even Never. know that they have that <laughs> report in the practice software. Yeah. So this is the kind of stuff that, you know, we're talking to our clients about that definitely distinguish yeah. a dental CPA from just somebody else out there who's just doing taxes. I love that. I'm kind of a data nerd myself. So hearing that these decisions are driven
1: from, you know, constant research and hundreds or thousands of practices that you've seen. I just think it's just fantastic. What are some ways that a dentist can work smart instead of just hard to generate revenue? Any advice there?
0: Yeah, this is really a point that I love to make about increasing your fees. And that's where you work more, or you make less. Let's think about the situation. If a doctor doesn't increase their fees every year, they're going to wind up having to pay now for the raises that they gave to their employees or the increase in their rent or even increases that are passed on through their suppliers or utilities or any other expenses that they might have in the practice if they don't increase their fees so when you think about fee increases you have to kind of equate to where are my expenses is going up it's not just like my assistant came in and said i want to raise because it's now the new year and you say okay i'll give him a five percent raise well that's great and very generous yeah but you can't pay for it by working harder or you're gonna wind up making less. Those are never good options. So I love when a doctor says, let me figure out how much we can do or if I increase my fees, then maybe I might be able to cover these additional increases. Now, I know that there are practices that participate with insurance, and that's fine. But PPOs usually try and reimburse somewhere in the 70th percentile based on zip codes. So it's really important for doctors that are participating with insurance companies to submit their regular fee-for-service all the time, to the insurance companies. Because if the insurance companies that see that fees are increasing in a particular zip code, there's a pretty good chance that they might be increasing reimbursements. Mm. And so I always ask that you know the doctors do that. Now I understand the front desk is gonna complain or the receptionist or the coder about having all of these write downs, but I think it's so important for doctors to also see how much they lose by adjusting their fee for service to whatever the reimbursement is. Because when you see practices losing 20, 30%, just because of the insurance contract, sometimes there's an opportunity to say, hey, I don't need insurance in my practice anymore, and I'm willing to take that chance. And we've had like, incredible success stories with practices that have decided that insurance is no longer right for them. Yeah. And it's been a lifestyle change for many of the doctors and very little income impact in the long
1: term. We've been talking about that specific thing on the show quite often. Do you see this as a trend moving forward that dentists are kind of getting away from insurance?
0: In the current environment, what I'm seeing is that costs are going up and reimbursement rates are going down. Again, it's like make less or work more. It's still not a sustainable environment for dentists. And I still truly believe in dental entrepreneurship. I'm so passionate about it. And I know that there's a the right opportunity to join a large dental group or a DSO or corporate dentistry, but I still believe in dental entrepreneurship. And there's got to be a way through insurance to be able to eliminate it from the practice and be able to earn the income for the value of the services that dentists provide.
1: That's great advice. How can practice centers go about choosing a CPA that's right for their specific needs?
0: Dental CPAs are um, out there. We're a close knit group. I happen to belong to an organization called the Academy of Dental CPAs. Our website is adcpa.org. We are 28... CPA firms around the country that all work with dentists the same way. I happen to be the New York metro area representative for the ADCPA, but my colleagues are all over the country in all major cities, and that's a really good place for them to go to that website and find the member in their area, because they'll have the same experience they would have with me or anybody else in the country. But if they're in the New York metro area, I'm happy to see if there's an opportunity for us to help. They can reach me. My direct line in the office is 551-751- Or you can email me at at dgoodmanpkfod.com.
1: Well, David, thank you so much for talking through why it's so vital to have a CPA on your team who's an expert in the dental industry. It's clearly that you are. You've given our listeners some valuable tips, and we just really appreciate it. Thank you.
0: Thanks, Corey. I'm happy to be here and and share my knowledge with the dental profession in hopes that they'll find a way to be successful and have great careers. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Thank you for joining us for this episode of The
1: Path to Owning It. If you're ready to take your practice ownership dreams into your own hands, be sure to visit getprovide.com to pre-qualify and browse our practice marketplace or check out our news page for more helpful resources. The Path to Owning It is brought to you by the team at Provide with production assistance from Sarah Parkey. And it's produced by PodCamp Media, branded podcast production for businesses. PodCampMedia.com, producer Dusty Weiss, editor Larry Kilgore III. For Provide, I'm Corey Brown. Thanks for being on the journey with us. Provide is a division of Fifth Third Bank National Association. All opinions expressed by the participants are solely their current opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Provide, its affiliates, or Fifth Third Bank. The participants' opinions are based on information they consider reliable, but neither Provide, its affiliates, nor Fifth Third Bank warrant its completeness or accuracy and should not be relied upon as such. This content is for informational purposes and does not constitute the rendering of legal, accounting, tax, or investment advice or other professional services by Provide or any of its affiliates. Please consult with appropriate professionals related to your individual circumstances. All lending is subject to review and approval.